Take Sprint Star Family Salute, y'all. It's your boy Tim Snow. Back here with another classic one, y'all. I'm real honored tonight, man. We got a Texas legend with us in a couple different ways, for sure. We got uh, Mr. Toedown, the Texas tycoon, man. Toedown, we appreciate you coming, brother. How you doing? Hey, man, pleasure. It's all mine. Sorry about that little hiccup in the beginning, but I guess the internet was already burning hot about this one, so they're like, oh. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's okay, brother. It's okay. Uh, listen, man, shout out to Donnie Houston because I was watching your stuff with him today. Awesome interview, Donnie. Donnie, man, you gotta go check out that interview you did with him. I learned a lot about you today, and uh, I had no idea, y'all, because I've been a musical fan of this dude, but I had no idea he was one of the top producers in Houston. He's literally like produced every name you can think of. Uh, toe down, tell him a couple of the big names that you work with, and their brothers. I mean, I work with Chameleon's brother too, so that's that's a whole other story. Um, just off the top, everybody from Beyonce, Lil Flip. Zero, Slim Thug, uh, Mike Jones, Paul Wall, Chameleonaire, Lil Wayne, uh, Killer Mike, Bun B, Pimp C, uh, anybody from the SUC, everybody from the Swisher House. If you heard music from 2001 to 2011, either we recorded it, we mixed it, we produced it, or we engineered it. We touched it in some way. We might not have done the whole thing, but our fingerprint was on it some way. And so, just estimate me how many how many uh, CDs out of Houston you think you touched? Um, probably over a thousand, definitely over a thousand. Um, I mean, you gotta understand, you know, when Screw passed away, there really wasn't a place on the South Side for people to record. Not that you could go get time at Screw Studio, but you know that was a, definitely a jump off place for people to get their vibe on, their flow, and stuff like that. So. Uh, we were right there on the south side, you know, 59 South, Bellway 8 South. You can't get no more south side than that. And so uh, back then, we had a record deal with uh, Warner Brothers Electric Atlantic. And so my brother was smart enough to negotiate in the contract that every nine months, you had to give us an advance plus 10%. So long story short, by the time I finished shooting the video, I knew I was going to be already off the, off the label. And so at the time, I wanted to go buy a nice car and a chain and do what rappers do, you know, and not, you know, thinking like longevity or this money's going to last, you know, hey, listen, come fast, go quick, right? So I was like, I want a Benz and a chain. So he wrote me out a check and I saw that number and I was like, man, it's going to be gone after I get the Benz and the chain. And when I drive off the lot, that's going to depreciate. And I ain't never going to get the money back I spent on the diamonds because I got it custom and it's got my name on it. And who in the fuck wants a toe down diamond piece, you know, if you're trying to sell it? You know, when you're going to prison, you're trying to liquidate everything. You're like, hey, can I sell my doll? Can I sell this picture frame? You know, how can I get, uh -huh. you know, half of the battle is dealing with your attorney and his greedy ass want more money. And the other half is how can I set my myself and my family up for the next X amount of years? Absolutely. And so, so, you know, going into the situation uh, after the record deal, um, my brother was like, hey, listen, let's go buy a house. We'll do the MTV crib thing to it. We'll trick it out. We'll put a recording studio in there and you can forever make records, you know. And this was around 2000, 2001. So having a first all digital studio in Houston was a blessing. You know, we had all Pro Tools gear. You know, it even became one point where we were demoing gear for Pro Tools. And so. Nice, nice. Um, what had happened was, and this is how life works, you know, 
things will happen where you want to go and God will put you where he wants you to go, you know? So at the time, um, we had this studio. I was working on chicken fried steak, which was going to be an exact replica of by prescription only, just more country. And so we started working on chicken fried steak. And everybody that came in that worked on chicken fried steak was like, yo, let me get some studio time. By the way, you got an ounce of weed. And so uh, yeah. it was always, you know, uh, one of those. And things- you happened to have it for them, too, didn't you? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. When you're in that setting, you want to have the best weed, you know, the best liquor, the best engineer. You want to have all that. And so I got a lot of my training from the people that I'm a I'm a music nerd. Like when people used to look at CDs, they used to look at the front cover. I would study the credits and see who engineered, who produced, where they do it at, what mics were they using, how they get that sound. I wanted to know how all the fundamentals worked. Hey, listen, I wanted to ask, I'm sorry to interrupt, but something I, when I was watching you on Donnie, I wanted to ask you, bro, do you consider yourself more of a rapper? Do you consider yourself more of a producer or more of a killer weed grower? Which one was <laughs> it? Or all three? All of the above. Really, I, I just consider myself an entertainer. You know, I can't, you know, I can't classify myself. There was a question that popped up on one of my uh, uh, applications that I was doing. And it asked me, like, what do I, what, what did I think I, you know, rapper, producer, entertainer? And, Really, I'm here to entertain. If I can make you laugh and smile, I just brought that happiness to you for that second. Right. And so that's yeah. what so Gangster Granny taught me how to use my mouth. She said, baby, you can get anything you want as long as you ask for it right. And so man, that's what's up, man. Rest uh listen, a shout out to Gangster Granny because rest in peace, John passed away uh Friday. You know what I'm saying? So RIP to grandma. Did you hear about that? Definitely. Yeah, it's all good, man. She ended a little bit of suffering, so you know what I'm saying? We ain't crying about it, man. We're going to celebrate in life. But anyway, listen, uh, of course, this is Texas Prison Stories. You know what I'm saying? I want you to, like you said, you got to some super major shit, man. Tell them what you had going on out there before you really got to prison. So what I was actually convicted on was conspiracy to manufacture marijuana. And so (laughs) as God being my co-conspirator in this deal, um, back in 2000, when the studio started jumping off, uh, we were already selling Mexican dirt weed. And at the time it was, you know, compressed bricks, get them for a couple hundred bucks, make a couple hundred bucks. Life's good. Um, every once in a while, my boy who knew how to grow would come up with maybe a quarter pound to a half pound of just the most beautiful weed you'd ever seen in your life. And back then I could sell, you know, drove for $50 a gram, no problem. You know, Wait, so, are we talking about like late 90s, 2000, 2001? This was like, like 98, 99, around that area, you know. It was rare back then, man. Yeah, it was hard to find. If you had a Cali hookup, you could get some Cali weed. But most of the Cali stuff is grown outdoors because they can grow it outdoors, you know. Right. You can't do that shit here. So the weed that's grown indoors obviously lacks the impact of the sun, so therefore it produces a lighter color, a more vibrant grain, which looks better, right? right so right. so this weed was just so beautiful that I could basically name my price for it. And so we had a problem with how do we get more of this? We know how to get the Mexican stuff. How do we get this? And so it became one of those things where, you know, trial and error. And listen, you want to talk about failure. I mean, I would 
you know, start with some plants. A month later, they look beautiful. Three months later, they all be dead. And so I just, I just spent four months trying to figure out how to grow this fucking weed and it's dead. So X, that money's out. So now you got to set up again and you got to keep doing this until you have some success. And when you have some success, you note your successes and you're okay, what did I do different? What was the timing here? And so after about five years, I bumped into a guy from California and his game was just so superior to mine. I knew the guy in the streets. He was, you know, all through Colorado, all through Oregon. And he was just a really good guy. And he was like, listen, you're doing way too much. You need to strip it down, do this, this and that. And I was like, that shit ain't going to work. That's too simple. I mean, all the shit you're telling me, I can go get from Home Depot right now and I don't have to spend all this money on these lights and these fans and all this stupid shit. And so when I used the skim, the scaled down version, we had enormous gains. I mean, I went from growing a pound of light to growing three and a half pounds of light. And this is a thousand watt light. So a good grower would get a pound and a half. An expert grower would probably get like two pounds maybe. I'm getting like three and a half pounds of light. I'm like, how do we get more lights? And so at that point, it was like, how do you kind of circumvent the law where you're not going to get ran in on? You know, if you go buy a warehouse, well, now you have to worry about fire marshal and people coming to do checks and shit like that. But with a private home, I put up a gate. You got to have a search warrant. So our thinking was, how do we buy a warehouse that looks like a house? Well, the only one they have is these big ass mansions that are seven, you know, hundred square feet and you know are a couple million bucks, you know. But in the business mindset, you say, Oh, well, that's four houses worth right there in one place, and I don't have to travel and I can cut down on this. And so my brother's house was basically just a warehouse. The whole entire upstairs was just nothing but marijuana rooms, just lights everywhere. And so at the time of my first arrest, I was actually in California at the MTV Music Awards, and my brother gives me a call. And he's like, hold on, hey, hold, on, hold on, hold on. You passed that up too fast. You were okay. aware? Say that again. Tell the people where you were when the first shit happened, because this blew my mind, dude. I never knew this till today. So I was actually at the MTV Music Awards, and wow. so... I was there and I was at the time I was sponsored by this vodka company called Snow Queen and they had given me a, uh, a courtesy suite. And in the music, in the entertainment business, when you have like a courtesy suite or when you get, you know, after parties are usually held at hotel rooms and then the hotel rooms are like VIP rooms kind of sort of. And so we were sponsored by Snow Queen. So Snow Queen had set me up with this huge ass hotel room right in West Hollywood. I didn't know it was like West Hollywood, but they were like, oh, it's West Hollywood. It's Trend Day. I was like, okay, there's a lot of trendy people out here. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of really trendy trendy people out here. So, you know, shouts out to them people, you know, URSMVP, all that stuff. And so um, I was having a good time. I was, you know, had plenty of cash in my pocket. MTV Music Awards, um, fresh Gucci. Like I was rocking Gucci tennis shoes before Gucci tennis shoes were even you know popular, and so uh, I was out there you know loving life. I mean, making hit records, growing some gangster ass weed, but I'm also out there trying to find a plug so I can kind of uh, hey, listen, I got way more people than I can handle. I need some more product. 
And so I'll when you was on your when you was on your major run, how long did it last? How long? I mean, some years? Did you get to go some years or what? Because I ain't gonna lie, my last run, I didn't go too long and get to the feds. It's crazy. From it was probably ninety eight to two thousand eleven. Oh, so that was a while. Yeah, big money. It said it said in the article that I read that they estimated you was four million to ten million bucks, man. That's nothing small right there. That was unbelievable too, right there. You know, would you estimate seriously? Hand to God, you know, they like to inflate numbers and try to make things look worse than they are. Uh consistently, you know, the first three years were like million dollar years. And then after that it was probably, you know, closer to like six or seven million dollars a year. I remember at one time I was being, I was making the same amount of money as Andre Johnson, the wide receiver. I was calculating his game checks to my harvest checks. So yeah, every harvest, I was coming down. I was rocking about one hundred fifteen. No, so you, you was know? making you was making uh, Houston Texas money with season tickets to the Rockets, huh? Oh, all day, and my brother did that because when the Rockets invite you to come look at your season tickets, they want to show you the stadium and wine and dine you and shit. And my brother is cheap, so when we show up, I'm like, hey, we got to go pick up our season tickets. He's like, what season tickets? I don't buy no season tickets. Uh, so we show up, and they start whining and dining him, which is not the way to go when you go up in art. I mean, he wants, like, crackers and cheese, and that's it. He don't want anything else. No champagne, no nothing. Like how much that money keep it. Yeah, how much is this shit costing, and who's paying for it, and shit like that. And I'm like, man, just relax, have a good time. Well, that year I was doing so well that I decided to get courtside tickets for the Rockets. And so they were, you know, 750 bucks to 1500 bucks a ticket. And so, you know, when you're out in California and you're at the MTV Music Awards and life is good, and you got fresh cars in the driveway and you rock a new outfit every day and you know you walk around with five, six racks in your pocket just to spend in cash in case you do want to buy something, which you've already bought everything and you know, sharper image twice, you know, it's like yeah, 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 yeah. I got hey, listen, I wanted everybody to know that uh you and ain't playing. I still buy I mean Slow down. They need to know you ain't kidding when you say you was living like that. It was serious, and you were for real messing with all the big people. You were the big man yourself. You know what I'm saying? And that's listen, brother. That's why I'm so honored to have you on this channel because my my prison channel really is about teaching these kids not to come here. You know what I'm saying? Because you're doing a lot of positive shit. We'll talk about it in a minute, but bro, you was literally on top of the world, like King Kong and the Empire State Building. And caught a federal case, man. Tell me, like, honest to God, when you first found out that people went in your house, man, what was your first emotion and feeling? I know it was scary. I know it was. Any man in this world would be scared, bro. Come on now. Or panicking or anxiety or something. What was it? Well, I'll never forget this. Uh, Mr. Marcus is an adult film star. Yeah, I know he is. Very well known in the in the female community. And, you know, you want to hang out with people like that just to get, the you know, the shit that falls off is you know, already. So yeah. my mindset, you know, MTV Music Awards. I'm gonna go hang out with Mr. Marcus later. Uh, I was supposed to meet up with like Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother, and stuff. And, and so we're going to grab some food over at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. And I'll never forget the feeling when my brother told me that they went in my house. It was almost like all the bad movies you've ever thought of, where somebody goes to jail. And then that sinking feeling in your stomach, like you don't know what the outcome might be. Like, what all did they find? Did they really find everything? Because to be honest with you, 
there was a lot of stuff that they didn't they couldn't find. You know, my brother is very skilled at hiding stuff. And so when you learn from how to hide shit, you learn how to hide shit extremely well. And so in my closet on the top shelf in a shoebox with a lid off, it was a Gucci shoebox with a lid off. It was probably about 300 grand in cash. And so when they raided the place, I'm thinking they got that fucking money. That's my whole entire nut. And they didn't get it. <laughs> oh, shit. I get there, and everything in the closet is on the floor, and my heart just drops. I'm like, I know they got it. It's not going to be there. And sitting up there next to the quilt, the fucking top still cocked off to the side. Oh, my God. Money. And wow. I'm, I was the happiest person going to prison. Like, you didn't even understand. I was just like, fuck it. I'm good. Now I'm ready to go get my attorney. Let's let, you know, let's rock. And so when you don't, when you haven't been in the system, everything is intimidating and you're going to get life. And that's the way your mindset is. You don't think like what reality actually is that, hey, listen, you're going to have an inner date. You're going to have an exit date. Stay focused. Stay busy. Don't slack. Treat it as an opportunity. Well, listen, this is my question that I didn't know from Donnie's interview is when you said that you came back to the airport and you was thinking they were going to be right there to arrest you and there was nobody there. How did you end up getting arrested? Did you have to go turn yourself in or did the marshals come get you somewhere? What happened? So they were when they when they came to arrest me, it was a multi unit uh, uh, force. And so the federal government subsidizes, pays them to be a multi, you know, Houston Police Department, Fort Bend County. That's the Gulf Coast Task Force, huh? They task up so they can make more money together, right? So they wanted to catch this rapper, right, who was in this really nice community on camera and do the perp walk from my house where they just raided it. When they raided it, they didn't know I was there. They were expecting me to be home. They didn't know I was in, in L.A., that's just how we, we 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 travel. We didn't announce, hey, going to LA this weekend. We didn't do that shit. You know, we just did what we had to do. So they didn't know I was in LA. So they wanted to actually do the perp walk as they're busting my house. Well, the story airs, and after the story runs, I'm thinking, well, when are they fucking gonna come arrest me? Kent Schaefer had called, my attorney had called for like a week straight. Hey, are you going to charge my client? Th- they didn't come arrest me till like a month later. That was and, your attorney, Ken Schaefer? Yeah. And so the same attorney that Jay Prince used, the same. Yeah, that's, you know, who, that's who Peso has right now, too. So that's going to be perfect for later. But I wanted to talk to you about Brother Cool. So, you know, at that at that point, I'm rocking with Kent. Kent's like, I go on to meet with Kent. And I'm like, OK, what am I really looking at? And he starts yelling at his secretary. Hey, you know, uh, bring me uh, that marijuana case from, you know, six months ago. What was the number on it? You know, 30,000 pounds, you know, shit like that. You're hearing like, and I got arrested and they're charging me with 15 pounds, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm in really good hands. This motherfucker's lowest weed case was like 30,000 pounds and he got the guy off and I got like 15 pounds. Like this is, this is nothing for Kent and state court. Kent is the king, ding-a-ling. When he walks around, you got Kent with you. Kent's squashing it. It's out of there. Don't worry about it. He's got it handled. When you deal with the United States of America, 
It is a totally different ball game. You are. Hey, listen, man, hold on. I'm sorry. I don't need to interrupt you, but check this out. That's uh, when Peso first got his case and he came home, bro. He called me. You know what I'm saying? That's why I say he's my real little homie, man. He calls me Unk and everything. He called me and asked me, bro, do you think I got some action, Tim? And I had to be dead honest with him, tight, uh, toe down, and tell him I've never seen anybody with any action to the feds. But Ken Schaefer is a totally different animal. Like, I've never had a $50,000 lawyer or nothing shit like that. So, do you tell me right now, and Peso's going to watch this too, man, like, do them high-powered state lawyers, when they get to the feds, what happens? Listen, you're better off getting a public defender. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you're in the feds, you're not, you're not going up against uh, a prosecutor. You're going up against that probation officer who's going to come do a PSI on you, right? And she's going to write all that negative shit up about how you didn't have a daddy, you uh, grew up poor in the wrong community, you were smoking weed at this age. She's going to write everything negative about you. Now yeah. you got to do that plus the prosecutor, plus you got to do it the judge. Plus, you got to deal with the evidence that's against you. And don't forget, your attorney is an officer of that court. Your attorney. Still work for them. So how my case worked out, and this is nothing against Kent, they don't have control of what you're going to get sentenced. He circled on a pad where he thought we were at. And on the guideline sheet. Guideline, right? I was so, explaining to him. Listen, hold on. Listen. One through six on top, one through 43 on the side. And y'all, listen, I'll explain that on the next video, how that shit works in detail, because I'll, I'll do it. But where did so, he say you was going to fall? Did you actually land where you thought you was going to be? Not at all, because what ended up happening is even though I didn't have any prior history, which saved me, because if I would have pled out in those state cases just a couple months back, that would have took me to a whole nother category. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's almost doubling your time right there. Absolutely. The only way we could cop out to a zero to 40 was to sign for conspiracy. Everything else had a mandatory minimum of 10, 10 to 40, 10 to 30. It was 10. You're going to do 10. Just get comfortable with the number 10. Oh, shit. Fuck that. When shit like that gets thrown at you, that's half of a baby life sentence. Like, fuck. Like, 10 years. I can't do 10 years. What the fuck am I on? 10 years plus probably five on paper when you come home, too. Oh, listen, and and that's worse. You know, getting out uh, is not good. I'd rather do my whole entire time at the feds and just walk on. I don't want to be put on no halfway house shit. Fuck that. That's stupid. But, you know, you're you're absolutely right, Tim. It's all based upon a category and a system. So where they had put us with all of our marijuana, even though my brother got some of the marijuana taken off, and it was my brother, not Ken Schaefer, that got that done. So there's a guideline of where you're supposed to be at. Well, when the judge starts saying, oh, well, you're a leader organizer, here's four points. Here's Mm -hmm. holding a place of manufacturer. Here's another two points. So he's putting my brother and myself as leader organizers. The same stuff that Chapo gets is the same shit. We're, We're getting four extra points. So that had boosted our, we had went down even further. So I was looking at like 144 months. And so when he started my brother, I was the last one to get sentenced. When he did my brother, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to come in less than my brother. My brother, I think, was sentenced to 77. So I was like, at least I know I'm coming under 77. Shit, I'm the second person on the indictment. I'm, I'm good. 
Motherfucker came back. He gave me more time. He gave me a year plus, like 87, like 87 a month. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And so I'll never forget when he said 87 months, I had turned to look at my family. And I think they were shocked, but I was just happy to get this time and sentence over with because every day you go downtown to FDC, Houston, the courthouse rush, 515 rush, you're in a black shackle box. That fucks with your psyche. That makes you want to sign out just to, hey, man, listen, I'll cop to 20 years right now. Can I get the fuck out of these fucking black box? Box up, don't they, man? This is stupid. And then they keep you locked up all day like it's some game to them. You know, they want to just test you to see if they can fucking keep you shackled up all day. And I was like, bro, this shit ain't cool. Let me ask you a couple things, though, Toe. This is what I really want to know, man, because... This goes back to you being on top of the damn world where you really was. Your first place, y'all went to Montgomery County. Was that what you told me? Uh, yeah, it was, it was Montgomery County. So it was a uh, it was a private system. Uh, Bernard, are you over there? He's not over here right now. But it was a private. Oh, let me ask you what I want to ask you real quick. Go check check it out. When you when you got arrested, did you like? Did you enter in the county with a bunch of money or did you to toe down literally have to get on the phone and say, somebody send me some money type shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, what was the first week like? I want to know what that fucking hungry day was like and waiting on your first commissary. Tell me what that shit really. Because listen, man, you were the damn man. Now tell me what this shit feels like waiting on soups and stuff now. So so here's here's the 24 hours prior to my last free world shit and good food. The night before, we just got finished the second trim of one of our largest houses. Like, we were setting records, like, four and a half pounds of light. It was, like, 36 pounds of weed. At that time, it was five grand a pound. I mean, I'm already, I've am i already spent the money. I know, I already know where I'm going with it, you know? So I smell like but weed when I get home. And at the time, my brother and I are trading off sleeping at my mom's house because my dad was in an old folks' home. He had broke his hip. And, you know, once you break your hip in an old folks' home, they give you about two years and you're out, you know. So we were spending, you know, we would trade off. One night my brother would go, one night I would go. And so it was my night to go sleep over at mom's. So I remember it was like 5 o'clock in the morning. I hear this banging. And I'm like, who the fuck is banging on the front door? And so I go to the front door. And I remember at my parents' house, there's an alarm system in the hallway you got to turn off first before you can open the door. It beeps. So I get halfway in the hall, and I remember to turn around to go and undo the alarm. And by the time I turned around and go to undo the alarm, the dude had already hit me in the head with the with with the shotgun. I was on the floor. Oh shit! So I'm coming too, right? And I remember they're dragging my mom out of her bedroom, and she's screaming, right? And I'm like, "What the fuck is going on?" I'm trying to get myself together, and I remember, "Oh shit, my pills are in my pocket." And at this time. I'm eating 120 narcos a day. I mean, I need a thousand pills a week type shit. Like, this is just me personally, you know? And I'm on that shit hard, like, hard. Like, you wouldn't even believe. So I remember the pills being in my pocket. I was like, man, I got to eat these fucking pills so I can at least get in my mind, get my mind right so I can function just for today. Not even thinking about withdrawal that's going to come within 24 hours. And so I get an opportunity where I go use the bathroom and they're watching me pee. And I'm like, well, fuck, I can't do it here. Right. And so I just turn around 
and I finally walk out. And I'm like, well, fuck it. If they pat me down, they find it. They find it. Well, they pat me down. They didn't find it. I'm like, all right, good. As soon as I get these handcuffs off, so I'm eating these fucking pills. As soon as they put me up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my mind right. You got to understand, when you're in dope fiend mode, you're just trying to get high just so you can function. All that other shit doesn't matter right now. Mom's screaming. All that, I, I can't even comprehend none of that shit right now. And so I remember being put in the back of the cop car. They're asking my mother, where's the money at? We know the money's hidden. Where's the money? We're going to tear up all the walls in the house. So after about three hours of tearing up sheetrock and not finding anything, they eventually take me into the DA building. Uh, that's right by the Galleria here in Houston. And so at that point is when I had the opportunity about three hours later to finally eat these pills. And, yeah. let, me, and let me tell you, once I ate the pills, everything had calmed down for a second where I could start piecing shit together. And then about 30 minutes later, I hear my brother's voice. And about 30 minutes later, I hear my partner's voice. And 30 minutes later, I hear my, I'm like, wait a minute. They got all seven of us? This is really fucked up. That, that's, some, that, that's some different shit. So finally, they put us all together in one, uh, in one uh, holding tank. And I got the chance to talk to my brother. And I was like, what do you think this is? And he was like, well, it's definitely a rat. You know, it wasn't anything that we did that we went out and, you know, serve somebody and they get busted or nothing like this. Listen, if you're going to sell dope, be prepared for someone to tell on you, because in any situation just like that, that motherfucker is going to be like, well, can I go home if I tell you where I got it from? And they'll always say, sure. And you might not even get to go home. They might just told you that shit just so you can get the name out. And then you get fucked down the road anyway. I so, got a story similar to that. I'll get to that one day, man. But yeah, so, that's some tough. I finally get to take the fucking the fucking handful of pills, and my mind calms down enough where I can talk to my brother. And at this point, you know, you're going through intake. They're, you know, take off your socks, take off your boxers. You know, you're doing all the intake shit. You're not really doing shit. So every moment I get to talk to my brother, I'm talking to my brother, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on in case we get separated. Well, they pack us on a bus and they take us to Montgomery County and they put us all in the same pod with a whole bunch of white dudes. I'm like, well, shit, check this shit out. So I got a finally chance to talk to my brother to try to figure out, hey, listen, what the fuck is actually going on here? You know? And so the government does such a good job of putting together a case. They won't tell you who snitched, but they'll say, on this day, suspect was in a company with so-and-so and so-and-so at this time at this restaurant. Well, shit, I know if me, you, and my brother were going to eat at Burger King on Wednesday, and it says on Wednesday, Absolutely. The, uh, you know, the confidential informant at Burger King. Well, shit, I know who it is. Ain't too hard to figure out, is it? It ain't, it ain't too hard to figure out. It's, it's like, so how that Fed case started was the state was pissed off that we didn't sign for these two years probation. Because we had paid Kent like 125 racks plus just for my case on the state shit, two state cases. So I'm like, fuck it. My brother says we're going to ride until we get a not guilty. We're going to ride until we got a not guilty. They went and raided my brother's house. They thought they got, you know, 50 plus pounds of marijuana. But in the state, they only uh, sentence you on what you can smoke, what the weight is. So they had cut all the plants up and they were they had got just the weight of the weed. Well, if anybody knows growing, 
those plants had just been turned on to the bloom cycle. There was no buds on the plant. So there was no smokable content. So that's 50 pounds. So that 50 pounds of weed, that big bush I'll put on TV, is now an ounce of weed for these two wow. guys. So they were, like, they were like, fine, let them sign for two years probation. They can leave today. Well, my brother's like, bitch, not for an ounce and a half of weed. We paid Kent this much money. We're going to him not guilty. Well, six days later, the feds came in. And so what happened in that, just like you see on TV, they find the weakest person. And they threaten everything they possibly can. If they see that you're weak in that room and they know they can get information out of you, even though you don't think you're giving information, you are giving information. You are dry snitching some way, somehow, even though if you think you're not, you are. So they find the weakest person and they tell them, those guys are telling on you. They're going to walk. You got caught with a gun, too. Oh, you're going to do 10 more years on top of that. Plus, the conspiracy with them, that's 40 more years. You're going to do 40 years. Was that worth it for you to go hang with those guys for 40 years? Why don't you be the smart one and talk up first, get you some time off? They're telling everybody on the case that at the same time, if they can. They're so, they're so sneaky, man. So I'm, I'm glad you're telling this because them people are sneaky, man. I don't understand. There were seven people on our indictment. I got, the, I got the most amount of time. My brother got the second largest amount of time our cousin got something close to us everybody else the first guy that talked he got six months six months home confinement the second guy that talked i think he just got probation so the people that did the less time talked the most absolutely after they had the first snitch on us we're like okay we can fight one snitch in a trial and we can beat them then it was two of them then it was three of them. Then it was four of them. Well, fuck, they got four people. Look, Bernard, it is what it is. I mean, we can go risk it, and you can put on your whole why we shouldn't be a legal trial case, and you can do all this, but they're going to sentence us to 20-plus years. If you go and waste the Fed's time, they are going to punish you by giving you time. By making that judge have to work that hard for that one week, you are going to be adding exponential amount of years to your sentence. And these so, people better listen to what you're saying because you're not kidding, man. It's serious business. So here, if you're if you're in a situation where should I pay my lawyer or should I put some money up? The lawyer can't do anything because he goes off a guideline that a public defender can do it for you. They work off a guideline. That's not changing. Don't spend that money on that. The other thing is, if you don't start preparing mentally for what you're about to do, like I said, the week, when they focus on the week, it's over. It's, they'll get them to talk about everything. And the next thing you know, if you don't sign for your time, well, we're going to indict your mom. And so that played a big part in my decision and what I had to do. They were like, well, why don't you find somebody to tell on? Well, who the fuck am I going to tell on my brother? Like, this is it. Like, you want El Chapo? You want me to go down to Mexico? Right, and make right, it? right. It happen. I, my I get it done. I'm like, you know, fuck it. Let's rock and roll. So, you know, the Fed system is a lot different from the state system. The state, Kent Schaefer walks in there, king dingling, lays it down. Boom, you're out. Chunk of dudes, we're riding off, off to the races, Batman. When it comes to the Feds, 
it's a 98% conviction rate because they intimidate the shit out of you. If you don't sign for this time and you go to trial, we're going to bang you in the head, which is under duress, which you sign a paper that says you're not under duress, but you are. And then you have to do this thing called accepting responsibility for your crime in order to get two or three points off, which is basically snitching on yourself at the end. So all that fucking pride and shit that you're holding out for snitching is a, these dudes went and beat you on time. They got less amount of time. They did the same shit you did, got less amount of time and snitch, and they're back out in the world making TikTok videos. I'm right, man. It's not right, but that's how the game is, and I'm glad you're telling them, man. It's a real OG talking to y'all. Y'all pay attention to what Toadown's saying because it happened to me and everybody else, man. But I wasn't, like, I didn't have such a far fall, so I guess it wasn't as well, much for me, brother. That's why I wanted to know. And let me get back to the 24-hour thing. So after we get to Montgomery County, I know in my mind, okay, I'm going to be in for a real fucked-up week ahead. I know Dauphine it's going to take at least three days for this shit to get completely out of your system. And when I mean, when it wants to leave your system, it's leaving every orifice that you got on your body. It don't matter. It's coming out. And so I had a celly and or a bunkie and I was on the top bunk. And so I would climb that motherfucking ladder so much. He couldn't get any sleep because I was dope stick trying to get to the bathroom to throw up shit, land sh- anything. He, he basically went up to my brother and said, hey, dude, I'm going to beat the fuck out of your brother if he gets up one more time. And so what did I do? I recognized, hey, listen, this is not my environment yet. Let me lay my ass down on this floor where I'm not going to bother anybody. So right, I made no him on the fucking floor and I, I just fucking, everybody knew I was fucked up. You know, they were like, oh, he going through it. So I got a break, a reprieve for that first six days, you know. Absolutely. People grab my trays, hey, you know, hey, you need coffee, are you okay? You know, they want to see your paperwork, see if you're snitching or if you plan on snitching or are you there to get information on another case. Listen, as soon as you walk in your door, it's eyes open, ears open. I'm, what's going on? You know, the people that are in there at that particular time are either getting sentenced or going through the trial or figuring this shit out. So you might be talking to your buddy thing and it's all good. Next thing you know, he's got information on your case. He's getting time off his case for shit that, yeah. you know, it has the real federal shit. It's real, man. You'll run your mouth in the damn cell and he'll turn on you, man. It, ha- it happens so often. It's not even funny. So they had put all they had put all the white guys together and they had put all the black guys together and they were everybody was seg- you know, segregated. So time and that's and that environment. When you're a good dude, when you're a good dude in the world, you're going to be that same good dude inside. If you're a ho-ass motherfucker who always tried to shorthand somebody and try to get over on somebody, and you bring that shit to that environment, you get what you deserve in that environment. The rules in there are very, very strict for a reason. They don't tolerate that shit. That's how society should be. You know, the respect level in there is awesome. You know what I'm saying? When you get outside, I I didn't use the word bitch for like six months after I got home. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When, hey, listen, it's a, let, let me tell you something. It's a mental fuckery for all men coming home to this disrespectful, rude world after you've been in there where no man will bump into you without ever saying excuse me. You know what I mean? It's, it sucks out here. Uh, and to cover your mouth when you sneeze, like 
my 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 little nephew, God bless his soul, every time he sneezes, he doesn't he doesn't and so I fuck with him, be like, hey homie, put your shoes on. You know, right, like, right. You know, hey, listen, this you're in violation right now. You done, you done, you know, you know, you done messed up two or three times. You didn't knock from the table when you got up, you know. Hey, ah, so I did a video about this saying something all men will do. Knock from the damn table when they get yes. up. And we don't even know why, huh, man? Yes, They're going to do it, ain't they? So it's, you know, the level of respect in there is is higher for a reason, you know, because the threat of bodily harm is there. That's listen, not I want to ask you a question. And this is something that a lot of people want to know about. It's real interesting to everybody because my little story is I'm the white crib and all this other shit because I grew up in Lamarck and everything. Well, man, you was like literally the only white guy from the screwed up clique, man. Shout out for that. That is badass. When you got to the feds and you got to Beaumont, how did they even treat you like that? Were they like, damn, here's a badass white guy? Or were they like, this guy messes with the blacks? So or was everybody cool? How does it... Man, listen, this is what I want you to This is where I was asking because these young cats that are famous for fixing the goat. To keep it 1,000, and I'm going to just be real with you, listen, at the end of the day, when it comes time and you stand in front of God, you are what God made you. I'm a white man, okay? When I got to prison, the white guys were my guys, okay? The, the respect level from the black group in the community because I was toe down allowed me to have a chair in that TV room. Now I didn't have a King Dingaling spot with the remote, but I was in the environment. I was respected. I had a place. It was all good. I could cross those boundaries. When the white guys saw that, they automatically knew, okay, this is a guy that could potentially speak for us when we need to communicate during bad times. In prison, if you're an effective communicator, you can get a lot of shit done. It's, it become time becomes so much easier when you be when you can effectively communicate. You know, when you don't have a lot of race problems in the unit and your unit is chill and they're not fighting going on, you can do a lot more hustling. But if your unit is hot and there's hot heads in there and they want to go to the bathroom every five minutes and the guards have to keep coming in and they got to keep fucking around, well, they're going to keep fucking with that unit. Uh-huh. So, Absolutely. And uh, so, so listen, check this out. When you first got there, that's your first time in prison, right? The yeah. First, so time first, in first time being locked up. Uh, I was baptized in Montgomery County. Um, we eventually moved to FDC downtown when it came closer time for our sentence, which kind of prepared us for going to a yard. And so being in that environment, that's like being in a, more of like a high or a medium, you know, because there's different offenders that are going. There's everybody from that chomo that you see on TV that's about to get 30 years to the guy that just knifed his fucking wife. You know, all of them are there. So and you're, and you're watching TV and eating dinner right next to that motherfucker. And they could jump off anytime. So that kind of prepared uh, us. That kind of prepared us. Like when I first got there, my brother tells this story. When I first got to FDC Houston downtown. I would sit with the with the blacks, right? And so everybody downtown, when I got to FTC downtown, that more people knew who I was than I was out in Montgomery County. I was just in a white tank. Those guys listened to country music. They weren't really rap guys, you know. I couldn't right, really right. you know, shit like that. I couldn't do that in Montgomery County. But when I got to 
FDC Houston, I can now, you know, enjoy the music that I'm accustomed to, hang out with the people that I'm accustomed to, you know, and do that type of stuff. So the TV that was on the wall was designated as a black TV and not ever doing prison time, not knowing that the TV is the almighty being in that entertainment realm for prison. You cannot get any better form of entertainment from that TV. And if you get those privileges taken away, you're fucked. Like, the TV is the TV and it's the, it's the king thing in there. So I didn't know that, hey, the black guys got one, the white guys got one, the Hispanic guys got one, and the chomos might have one if the white guys don't stand up to the chomos and get the TV back. And so when I got there, I didn't know about the TV. So I like to watch the same things they like to watch. They like to watch Family Guy. They like to watch, you know, the all the love and hip hop shows, the BET Lovely. stuff. You know, so I know the times. I sit there. I'm a tall guy. I'm going to get the TV for you guys, right? So I'm up and down turning the black TV not knowing that I'm sending a bad signal saying, hey, there's a white guy touching the black TV. What the fuck is he doing touching the black TV? Right. So all of a sudden, I see a whole bunch of black people stand up and they move around to a cell. And my brother, he's sitting kind of close to me. I'm like, hey, man, you see what's going on, man? Something about to pop off in this motherfucker. Oh, my God. We're about to see some action Jackson going down here. about to get good. Yes, y'all. And so my brother, being the OG that he is, he kind of strolls by and like pokes his head in and walks on by to his cell. And all of a sudden, I see one guy follow my brother. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, making sure everything's all right. So they go into my brother's cell and, you know, they chop it up for a minute. And then all of a sudden I hear, toe down, get your ass over here, motherfucker. And I'm like, oh, shit, what the fuck did I do? And they're like, hey, man, listen, we love and respect you. We're, we, we appreciate all that you've done. But you got to understand from a black person's perspective, when you touch that TV, it looks like you're taking control of that situation. And so I knew right then and there I had to change my thinking about how people perceive things in prison. What I think is not a big deal. Like, I got five flat screen TVs in my house. Right, this right. guy this guy who's done 20 years has sat in front of this TV and used this as his escape. And I need to respect that guy's time and that TV and not touch it. And so those are the small things that I had to get used to, you know? And so I was always aware of like, okay, what's disrespectful. Okay. How was I disrespectful in any way? And that's what you was just really truly having to figure it out right now. It was, you know, it wasn't, I've always had my brother who's always guided me and like, hey, listen, go this way or go that way or go this way. So for the first year that we were together, everything was cool. But when I got sentenced to Beaumont Low and he got sentenced to Oakdale, I'm like, well, fuck, what the fuck am I going to do now? I got to do my own shit now. You know, like, what the fuck? But the first night I got there, a group of white guys came up and they asked me the question that I would later on ask somebody else. Hey, man, have you ever touched a kid before? Right, right. Hey, man, are you telling on someone's case? All right, well, we're going to use Pacer. We're going to look you up. Let me get your Fed number, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to check your paper. And so 
after, you know, that five-minute conversation, I get handed a cup, a bag of coffee. Hey, man, let us know whatever you need. And from that point on, I knew things were going to be okay. Let me ask you something. Hold on. When you got your care package and they came up and talked to you, did they know you was toe down yet or did they still think you was Brian only? Oh, yeah. The whole whole yard knew I was coming because the one black guy that I was hanging out with on the bus before, he was one of the first guys to get let out from the initial um, uh, check-in. So he had already hit the yard, and the yard knew before I even got there. People, you know, at the next next child coming up to me, man, hey, Toto, I saw you on TV, man. Listen, I got you. You need anything. So it was, you know, for the people that knew who I was, they showed a lot of love and a lot of respect. And for the people that didn't know who I was, they found out that I wasn't that fucking arrogant asshole that comes with all that, you know? Right, and, right. Oh, listen, he's going to tell us his war stories of everything that he's got. How many, right. how many more fucking times do I have to hear a story about your car and about the girls you used to fuck? Right, 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 right. About the money you had. I told this man, that shit, uh, when I went to the feds myself, I was on house arrest and I, it was my third time in, bro, and I was a little, you know, a little different, kind of a little more aggressive, I guess, or something. But I literally spent nine months taking pictures of everything I had. My Mercedes, my Lincoln, all this shit came in with everything, me and Point Blank and all the homies. And listen, when I came in, I had a shoebox ready to come to me. And honest to God, when they everybody seen the shoebox, they started hating, bro. It wasn't like, man, I thought it was going to be love. Like, look what I'm doing out there now. It was really some hating ass shit. They were like, Damn, you had a Mercedes and a Lincoln, bitch. I didn't have that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I thought it was going to be. So I learned I learned early on, don't send me a whole bunch of shit from home that I don't have anymore, that I want to be reminded of that I don't have anymore. You know? Really? Like, I burnt up my credit for over a million and a half dollars. So, I mean, pictures, don't, I, got, I got sent pictures one time. And after I got them, I got rid of them. And I'm going to tell you why. Really? Because I realized I was doing the same thing those guys were doing. I was showing you that, hey, listen, I was smart enough to get this money. But at the end of the day, you and I are both in here. I mean, yeah, I can get all that shit again. That's not a problem. But how do I prevent coming here again? Really? You know? What the fuck? Like, so I was blessed early enough to get uh, to be a celly with a real OG. And he laced me up with game. And I mean, he told me, don't enter a conversation unless it brings value to you. Don't just talk to let people know how smart you are. And he had these like 15 rules that we'd go over every day. You know, before I even enter the conversation, is this conversation going to bring value to what I'm trying to do? And I mean, That's it was right. It was those type of things that he would hit on that would kind of get your mind right, you know, like okay, boom, what am I in here for? Oh, you know? do you still do you still go by the fifteen rules out here right now? <laughs> you know, I I carry about four of them with me every day. You know, before I get into a conversation, I always ask myself, is this going to bring value to me? And the other thing is, don't just talk to show your intelligence. You know, if you can bring somebody some information and be beneficial to their life, more power to you. But just don't talk to just let them know you're smarter than they are. Right. And right. So, don't show off. Don't show off. Exactly. And so I'm constantly checking myself with that. That's why, man, I don't rock the belt buckle no more. I keep a G-Shock on. 
you know, prison Rolex. I keep right. that. And then what really helped, helped me out a lot is, man, I would spend $3,500, $4,500, sometimes more on a fucking outfit for a day that I would, you know, later dry clean and probably not even wear. And I'm just content in prison grays or all black, you know, uh, right. uh, cash cow shit. I'm content. You know, I found out coming home, I'm a lot more content. My mom said, baby, you had never made so much money in, in your life until the day you went to prison. So listen, man, what you're actually even telling me, Toe, is that it woke you up, dog, and just made you appreciate the smaller things in life like it does most men, like it's supposed to. It worked on you, man. One thousand percent. And if you don't if you don't utilize that time that they're giving you, they're giving you time. You got to understand what that is. They're giving you a gift. You have to understand that you're getting wow. a gift. Wow, bro, See, you said some deep shit. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I've never looked at it like that, but you're right. Most people don't understand that you're having an opportunity to reset. Get rid of all those scallywags that ain't no good for you. That call your phone just to complicate your life. You get rid of all the people who really aren't important in your life who are just hanger-ons. And the core people that are with you during that sentence, those are the people you need to focus on. And those are the people that are going to be there during your time and after your time. All that other bullshit, man, get from around. Like, move around. So listen, man, check this out. Now, you did, including myself, brother, you had a million fans out here. Like, fan fans. Did While you were gone... Did they reach out to you or do they forget your ass? This is what I want some of these youngsters to know that, you know, that are out here riding with their heat rapping right now. How do the fans handle that? So everything falls off six months at a time. You know, when you're first there, you get the fresh pictures sent in. You know, everything's popping. You got a core group that you're communicating with every day. The phone, you're staying on the phone constantly. Everybody's in communication with you. Six months later, half of that's gone. And then six months later, half of that is gone. And then six months later, half of that is gone. Until you get to the point where you're not on the phone all day long. Or you're not in front of the computer sending out messages all day long. And you understand that, well, shit, the real people are the ones that are right here with me right now. So the fan, the when it first happened, it was, you know, I'd get some fan mail. But after I had done my first year, gone and forgotten about uh they were just waiting on the toe down rebirth you know when's he coming home and i don't even think that many people even were waiting for me to come home uh even my own brother who i don't even talk to thought i was getting you know 40 years so honestly when we heard about this same shit nobody we didn't know a lot down here where toe down and how much you got we just knew you was gone and we heard about you with the big bust and like, brother, you literally disappeared. You know what I'm saying? And that's what this prison shit is. That's why I try to tell everybody three times in my life, I've disappeared, man. And you do not come back for years, brother. That's really what it is. And, you know, you learn to look at things a lot differently. Like I look at life more in seasons now. I know that's really weird, but I remember going to get in my jacket and going to turn that motherfucker in. You know, right. was that green jacket? Y'all had the green jacket at the low. The green, well, at the low, I had the browns, and at the uh, at the camp, I I got the greens. Now, camp life shouldn't even be prison. That is basically adult right. daycare. There's more cell phone. I did the best coke in my life in prison. Like, Bro, did you see just the other day another kid ran off from the low again? He's on escape right now. It happens all the time. How many people did you see run off when you were over there? 
I was fortunate enough to be the uh, the compound PM orderly. So my job was actually sweeping the front gate where there's no gate at all. Oh, and shit, yeah, there's not. Yeah. And so we were so live with it. Your girl would drive up with her friend. Right. They would leave a car, pair of clothes in the car for you after, you know, 10 o'clock count. Go to the car, change clothes, drive off the compound like your 1030 work. And then oh. you come back in right at 4 p. you know, 4 a.m. Ain't no problems. It's those oh, knuckleheads that fall asleep at their girl's house or fall asleep in the hotel or they're late coming back. It's those guys that fuck that fuck it up for everybody else. You know, right. there was one dude that was so cold blooded with it. He would go out every fucking night where he was walking to Walmart one night and bumped into one of the CEOs that was off duty. Wow. What so, did CEO say? Did he get him? And that, listen. The, pri- the the guards are just like the prisoners when you get to a camp. Only the guards with seniority get to work the camp. You know what I'm saying? So you get to work your way to the camp. Like in their, in their world, you start out at the high and you get to right, the medium right. and, and then your job gets less stressful and you go to the low. And then you really made it as a CEO if you get to go work at a camp. Because there's really right. only two guards on duty and they stay up in the front the whole time. I mean. Right, 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 right. open. It was legendary. Yeah. Listen, we were at the so so I was at the medium and we could just uh, see the camp out my window and I just see shit, man. It was like wow. But listen, uh, the song that you did when you came home about the uh, I used to know that's one of my favorite songs there is right now, man. I mean, it's been for years right now. Did you write that song on the inside? Because that shit. Listen, everything that you said in that song. Touched me deeply, brother, and I'm talking about to my soul, man. And I felt everything about it. Well, um, listen, man, I appreciate hearing that. You don't know how much that means. Um, so while I was locked up, I was with this guy who let me know, uh, "Hey, listen, start working on your music now, so when you get out, you don't have that rusty period, you know, where you sound right. rusty and shit like that." And so I had written like, you know four notebooks full of raps, you know, uh, some of the stuff got redundant at times, but I just kept, I just kept writing, you know, just to keep up with the craft. And so I had a whole bunch of songs that I want to record when I got home that I'd made in prison. But when I got home and heard new fresh shit, my mind is different. Huh? It was like, fuck all that stupid shit. Let me move forward. Like, you know, let me make a song about it and then we'll move forward and, you know, keep, you know, keep rocking. And so I pinned that song literally maybe 30 minutes after hearing the track and everything that's in the song, you know, I tried to write it as, as oh, you ch- wrote that in a free world. Yeah. So I wrote, wow. it, I wrote it. I wrote it at the halfway house. Okay. So at the time, my sister, uh, my sister-in-law, she had a little uh, studio set up for him. She had kept one of my laptops and a microphone for me. So when I told him I was going to look for a job, I'd go to my sister's house and I'd record and fuck around and relearn the programs and do all that shit. So I had actually written the song at the halfway house and then recording it over at my sister's house during the daytime. And so that's how that kind of came together. Brother, that's one of the fucking classics, man. I swear to God, that should be like 30 million views right now. It's only at 300,000. I'll tell you what, I'm going to... Pump that up a little bit myself, and I've actually promoted that song because it's 
it's deep. And I tell you, so from a man who's never been to prison, and if you actually want to feel what it feels like, turn your lights down and listen to Toe Down song, and it's going to make you feel, you're going to feel that anxiety. You're going to feel that uh, that come home, and he said his phone don't ring no more. His chicks oh. got different last names. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Everything happened to me, Toe. All this is this is Tim Snow rebuilding. I've only been home now for three years with a little daughter. And, so uh, listen, no, it's when, rough. When we went away, you know, my brother took copious amounts of notes, like notes upon notes upon notes upon notes. Like you couldn't even have a conversation with my brother later on unless you wrote it down on, on a sticky note. And so uh, he had all these nicknames and how much they owed. And I mean, there was probably a good half a million dollars that was owed when we went when we went away. Because you got to, you know, people forget your business. They just destroyed your entire business with one move, you know. So the people that are coming back to bring you back that money are expecting more product. Well, you're not there to deliver that product. So what are they going to do with your money? They're going to go spend somewhere it else. on somewhere else. So the money that was coming back to you now, that's your money, is going somewhere else because they got to keep rolling. And what are you going to do? You're going to take money out of their hands? So, you know, it's like, I kind of got you into shit, but damn, I need my money. And so when we came home, there was a collection time, we we're going to say. And I learned that if I focus on that old money, I'm going to be stuck in that old shit, fucking with those old motherfuckers, still in that stupid ass space. No, what you're going to do, so you're going to end up having to kill somebody for that money and lose your life, man. For real. Exactly right. Let me stop, prevent me from getting mad and angry, right? Because they're going to tell me something stupid like, well, man, I've had it rough. Motherfucker, right. you had it rough? Right, I know. 87 months under my belt. You had it rough? Yeah, Mom passed away. Mom had a stroke. I don't know if she's sleeping in the dark. I don't know if the lights are on. I don't know who's taking care of her or what. You had a rough? No, man. You don't even know what rough is. Uh, you know. So there was that time where we were, you know, there was a collection period. And I, once I let go of all that, my life became so much better. And I made so much more money than trying to chase down that old money. That's what's you up. That's what what's up. That's what, I, want, I know. You got a lot of shit coming. The first time when I seen you, I seen I seen on Facebook it said toe down, cash cow, home buyers. Tell me what you got going on right now. Let these people know because listen, hold on. Let me say one thing. You came home. Well, fuck. Tell tell me how you did it real quick because that's what people need to know, man. People don't people get the stigmatism on them that they're just a convict and everybody hates them and they can never do anything. That's not true, man. I'm, I'm one of the best men in my job and you're fucking running businesses, man. Tell us how you flip this shit. If you fall into that stupid ass, I'm a convict, can't get a job, well, then you're a stupid ass and you shouldn't have a job. And that's just the end of it. I had learned a long time ago that having different revenue streams is vital to a successful company. You know, not having all your eggs in one basket. And so coming home, my brother wanted to do real estate and he had learned about wholesaling real estate, which is basically middlemaning. What we do is we go out, we find houses that are in need of repair. We buy ugly houses, let's say. And so what we do is we put a contract on that house for a small amount of time, let's say two weeks. And in that time period, we then sell that house to somebody who wants to flip a house. 
somebody that might have just gotten watched Joanna Gaines doing some painting and they're inspired and they want to do a flip or an experienced flipper who's done 100 flips wants that house. So what we do is we just put our little five or $10,000 fee on it and we just middleman the project. And so oh, y'all, the guys out finding the houses. Correct. Correct. So we, I drive around in a big suburban that's wrapped like a cow. It says we buy houses, you know, so it's basically um, finding distressed properties and then not having to put up any upfront money because the only thing you're doing is selling it to somebody who's buying it. So like a right, flipper right. and their, their funds are going to purchase the property. So you don't need any upfront money. So I didn't need a hundred grand to go start this company. I could be right. up and running today if I just went out and hustled. That's the key to the whole success. Awesome. Let me ask you this. So check this out. Uh, at the medium, they were actually having classes where they were teaching the inmates how to do this. Is that what your brother learned? Or did he did he learn from an official class or did somebody teach him? No. So back back when we started growing dope, what I wanted to do is after the life of a house, after about 18 months of growing dope in that house, I wanted to convert that house back into a livable condition and then rent it out once it had already been paid for. So my right. plan was to grow dope in the house so you can pay it off pay it off and then put a renter in there. And now you got a rental income on 25 houses, you know, right, free and clear. Right, wow. you all. Yeah, fucking master plan. Wow. So, and that thinking and that mindset, we were already prepared buying houses back then. So buying houses now was just like, okay, where's the money being made at? Well, there's a lot of money being made in wholesaling. All right, well, what is wholesaling? Wholesaling is finding a distressed property and selling it to a flipper. Well, how much does that cost? It doesn't cost you anything. All right, so how so what's required is going to require some hustle. It's going to go out and find these buyers. Well, where are the buyers at? Well, you know, there's a place right up the street uh, that that's doing um, a real estate workshop, a meetup. And I'd go to the meetups and I'd meet people. And the same thing I was doing in the radio with music is now I'm doing with the real estate meet networking. It's all networking. And so there's different meetups. And now it's become easier because you can do the meetups online. So now I'm meeting the investors online. Uh, I'll tell everybody what I do. And eventually, hey, didn't you say you buy houses? Or, hey, do you have a house for sale? And so deals are now flowing in and out because I've let people know, hey, I'm buying houses. So let's be right. hey, there's a guy who's buying houses. He can close real quick. I can close in 30 days. That's just the standard operating procedure. But, you know, we tell them we close in 30 days. It's a cash offer. And it makes people's lives a lot easier because they don't want to have to deal with the headache of trying to figure out how to put this house back together, what colors, what fixtures. That's a, Hold on. Let me, ask you, let me ask you something. Who does Toadown work for right now? He works for himself and his brother. Y'all work for yourself? So my brother and I are 50-50. And so... Ever since the days of bagging pecans in the backyard to selling puppy dogs. And so we what we do is we have multiple revenue streams. So we also do a rental car company with Toro. Toro is an app that you can download that you can rent out cars. So the cars that I'm not using, I'm renting out. So my fleet, right. my fleet is making money instead of me spending that money on something that's not going to have any value. So I'm getting that money back. So awesome. then we have the French Bulldogs that we do with my mom. And these are like super. Hey, Lindy. Let me see if I can get a special guest to come in here. I'd love to see. And uh, tell me about a murder. So um, what we do is mom and I, we uh, breed French Bulldogs. And um, hold on one second. Can you bring money bags? 
can you bring Mr. Moneybags? So my mom had a stroke while, um, let me back up and tell you that story real quick. If we got time, my That's mom, right. my mom was going to FTC Houston downtown to visit my brother. And so she was walking across the street and she is hit by a center point energy truck. Like ran. Oh, over. Wow. I'm at Beaumont low already. Right. I find out my mom got ran over by a fucking truck. I'm freaking the fuck out. If you want to talk about anxiety, when when you know your mother has been in an accident and you don't know the outcome of it, that's the worst feeling ever. That's a physical sickness right there. I already know. I don't even want to tell you. Your boy was going through it that day. Like everything, like the tears in my eyes just well up. Like I couldn't be there for her. I couldn't tell her it's going to be okay. And, you know, so what ended up happening was she was on a blood thinner at the time. And they took off her blood thinner. And when they took off her blood thinner, she ended up stroking out. And wow. so she had a stroke. She got ran over. She had a stroke. And so that whole time of being locked up and not being able to help, not being able to do something, I knew that my rest of my life's mission was to make her happy. So when I get home, my number one job, before I do any real estate, before I sell any dogs, before I rent out any cars, hey, is Gangster Granny okay? Did she get what she want? Does she want to go do whatever she wants to do? It's her world. So if at the time I was doing all this reading about uh, prolonged your your parents' life by finding them a puppy or a cat or an animal that they can, you know, shed some love on. So when, we got, so when we got Bella, her eyes just opened up and she became a different person. It was like she was back to normal. She um, she could, you know, where are the babies at? What are they doing? And so. Wow, oh, that's awesome, brother. Yeah. Can you hear me, Mr. Moneybags? She probably ain't paying no attention to <laughs> She ain't paying no attention to them. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, it's not no, like. That's all good, bro. I'm having fun, man. Some shit. I just got the dogs on the other side because. Dogs are noisy, and you don't want dogs noisy on a podcast. And they, fuck brother, you. I'm having fun. Toe down. This is like a man. This is a big honor for me, brother. I'm talking about major honor, man. Thank you. I just appreciate you being here, man. Man, no problem. Um, she's coming in right now with him. So give me a minute. I'll show you some money bags. But you know, the whole Fed, the whole Fed thing is different. And I just want to let people know from the jump: don't waste your money on that lawyer that's promised you he's going to get you some certain time off. Because what ended up happening to me was. Your your lawyer most likely has other cases in that court. So sometimes the prosecutor will get with the attorney and say, hey, listen, I'll give you this case if you give me this case. Or I'll yeah. give you this case if I so now you're in a different politic game, right? Does your lawyer have enough swagger to politic like that? You know what I'm saying? So you might be caught up in that cross. You're paying out all this good money. You're thinking you're going to get the best deal. Your lawyer just handed you over for a, for his other client who's paying. Bro, that's real. Yes, sir. Your and paying so, lawyer will do that to you sometimes. And, and so what I learned is that most of the successful lawyers are snitch lawyers. How this works is they convince you you should talk. They're going to get you less time. You're going to turn around and the lawyer's going to look like he's done something fantabulous by getting you less time. Well, in actuality, he just negotiated a plea deal where you're snitching. 
So it makes you get no prison time. So you can go say, well, man, I'm spending on my lawyer, man. He got me off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Most lawyers wow. are snitch lawyers. They, they win by bringing an easy conviction to the prosecutor. If I go in and I tell the prosecutor, hey, listen, I'm going to give you four convictions this, uh, this month. Will you, will you look out one time on this case? So when you got arrested, did they ever actually come to you and say, you have a chance to work? Because they did to me. They did it to me. I saw them out. No thanks, man. But they do. They, they literally said they sent my own lawyer to elbow me in the court and say, hey, there's an offer. And I said, no, thanks. You know what I'm saying? So That's how it works. there was one statement that I made and I made it early and I knew I was in a world of shit. And I said it to the arresting officer. I said, hey, listen. I'll take all whatever charges might come if you just leave my family out of it. And he laughed at me and he said, your family, your whole entire, your whole entire family is in it. That's when I knew they went and picked up some other people. You know, it just wasn't me. They had raided seven locations simultaneously. Do you know what size police force do you need to raid seven locations simultaneously with helicopters? The entire HPD. That's Probably. some live shit. Yeah, so crazy. My mindset wasn't even thinking like that when, it, but the government they add all that up when it comes to your sentencing. If you don't sign that plea deal and you go off and you want to go to trial, they're gonna take all that shit to your fucking sentencing when it comes to you. Don't think about it, but that's what you're paying for. You know. So my thing is, hey, listen, get you a good public defender. Learn scale, learn where you fall at in the guidelines so you know exactly how much time you're getting that your lawyer's not going to convince you that you're not. And if you're not sure, go down one more just in case. But learn that scale. Learn where you're at. Learn this first reward. You know, for the kids out there, I'm not going to say, hey, don't go do something I did, right? Understand there are risks to what I've done. I had to weigh those risks versus rewards. And for me, at that particular time, it was more beneficial to risk that. But I'm not condoning anything. Listen, if you want to go grow marijuana, go to a state that's friendly that you can go grow marijuana in. Check this out, man. What you just said. I was just way early in Texas. You got to understand, we were a lot of years ahead of people. Let me see Mr. Listen, bro, I want to see money bags. Let me see. Oh, wow. Hold on. Let me check this off. Hold on. Let me get this banner off. So he's definitely oh, he got, How he got, is he? So he's right at nine weeks. So oh, and, he, and he is a blue tri French bulldog, which means very expensive in French. Yeah, no shit, huh? How, how long have you been doing the dogs? So I started breeding dogs uh, back in like 2000. I breed boxers, you know, and back then when you when you're learning how to breed, you're breeding off of grandparents, great-grandparents, kind of their pedigree. But with French Bulldogs, it's completely different. Everything is based on their DNA. So we know the colors of the puppies before the puppies even come out. Nice, nice. So listen, man. So if you're out here in Texas and you're balling and you don't have one of Toe Down's dogs, you're probably tripping, man. That's crazy. They need to come get one of the dogs from you, man. Hey, listen, they're actually called Bertha's Blue French Bulldog. It's named after my mom. She really runs the business. I just kind of handle the paperwork for her. But uh, she but she takes care of the puppies, and she makes sure they're well-loved and stuff. But 
Listen, our dogs are known for being exotic dogs. And when I say exotic, it just means expensive. So they're expensive dogs. Listen, Lady Gaga's trainer got shot four times for her. So they there has to be a reason people love them so much. You know? Absolutely, brother. That's a status symbol. You know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, can you pull your shirt up just a little bit and let them see? Because they can't see your cash cow thing. I want them to see the emblem. And put that up there real quick. Raise it up a little bit. Yeah, there you go. No. Let them see the number real 713-551-3746. Cash Cow House Buyers. Oh, that's your boy. So, you know, and it's your badass dog. Back to, you know, and so when you put all that together, when you put the houses together and you put the dogs together and you put the rental, the car rental business together and you put the cryptocurrency together, you have multiple streams of income now. So for me, I love to hustle. I love having, I love being occupied and, you know, doing stuff. And so right now for me, music is kind of taking a back seat while I kind of, you know, get my game up. You know, Pimp C said, well, that's hey, what I was going to ask you, like, do you still write songs and stuff like that? Or you don't even write anymore? Uh, I'm not writing right now, but I still, I still work in music. So the clients that I used to work with and still do studio work for, I still do mixing and mastering and all that other stuff. I just don't advertise and offer my services out. So I still, I'm still involved in music, but as far as writing, I'm not writing right now. I'll probably pick it up in the next six months. You know, it's all about the feel for me. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not putting it out. I'm not writing it right now. Music for me, is just not, it's just not there for me right now. So you kind of got a lot going on. You know what I mean? That's so that's understandable. And listen, it's, and it goes back to the whole reason I got into music was to make money. It was, it was a, a place and a vehicle that I can make a lot of money really quick. And that was the focus back then. And I think even now when I weigh it in some of my other business ventures, hell, I can rent out more cars than what I can do making on a show. Or right, I, can, absolutely. I can rehab a house or sell a house to a flipper and make more money than what I'd make doing three months on the road. Or hey, listen, do you and your brother, do y'all have any, like, big, I mean, you don't got to give any game away, but is there is there more in the works for y'all? Do y'all got bigger shit coming? More? Because you're talking about multi-streams. I'm pretty sure you're not happy with three right now. You're probably going to have ten. So y'all got coming? So when you get into real estate, the, the very first thing you want to do when you get into real estate is learn how to Learn how to buy a property. And all the money that is made in real estate is made at the purchase of the property, not when you sell it. If you can buy it for the right price and buy it for a low enough amount, now your profit can be, you know, it can go off to the moon. So learn how to buy the properties right. So what we're doing right now is we're growing. So we know how to wholesale properties. We know how to do fix and flips. We know how to do new construction. And so now we're at the point where we're going to be into development, where we actually get the parcels of land and develop the streets and the street lights. Right. And the now that's the guys I work for down here that are doing that type of stuff. Absolutely. Oh, man. So God be. So you're going you're going so major. It's unbelievable. That's basically what's happening. It's coming, you know. And so for us, development is the next natural step for Cash Cow. Uh, developing, you know, we have a golf range idea that we're thinking about doing in Pearland over here. So, you know, definitely it's one step in front of the other when it comes to, you know, your businesses. Don't try to run if you're just getting off the ground. 
You know, I've seen a lot of people right, get, right. get a good idea and then, you know, they don't do anything with it. You know, so are you, are, are you telling these people crawl before they walk? Is that what you're saying? For please, real? Please crawl before you walk. You know, I know some people, you know, they want to be in the dog. You know, they see me doing well with dogs and they'll immediately go throw fifty thousand dollars at some dogs. And they'll, well, what do I do next? And I'm like, hey, listen, you're running before you even started walking. Why don't you slow down, toe down and, you know. So definitely crawl before you walk. And listen, it's okay to move in slow motion. Slow motion is better than no motion. And that came from Absolutely. Public. Yeah. Listen, when I started my channel, so I told my wife, I said, it's going to be a five-year plan right here. You know what I'm saying? I won't even judge the success of this channel until five years. And I just got lucky. It took off in one. And I got blessed. You know what I mean? So... Literally, if I still go by that, I got three more years to even decide if this thing is working. And I'm at 24,000 and 4 million views. So if it's working, I understand. You know what I mean? Working, motherfucker, if it's working. Listen, one yeah. thing I learned from Joe Rogan, who's probably the master of all master of podcasts, content is king. Keep consistent. Keep putting it out there, Tim. You're going to be all right, man. You're in a good man, Thank you, brother. That's what you said constantly. Listen, you keep saying that content is king. Keep putting it out. You said that a million times, and you're the man I need to listen to. That's and right. I guarantee I will, brother. And this is like, this is probably my favorite episode I've ever done right here, brother. So I'm excited you about you it. You let me know when you're ready to do part two, and we'll do part two. We will, man. Listen, toe down. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, man, just God bless you and your brother, man. Gangster Granny, everybody. Thank you so much, brother. Hey, and shout I'm gonna put uh. I'm going to put the link to your cash cow and everything in the description, man. And I'm just glad to see you out here. Listen, as a man, I'm glad to see you out here doing better, dog, and just with a different hey, listen, mindset. Anybody, anybody needs a hand, hit me on the horn, 713-551-3746. I'll answer. Just give your boy a call. That one of the realest cats in H-Town right here, man. Toe down, the Texas type. Thank yes, you, sir. brother. This is Tim Snow, Tex Prince Store. We're going to get out of here. We will bring them back. I promise, man. Thank you so yes, much. Sir. Catch you later.